Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Oh, who is excited? Vision Sunday, we're here, we've arrived. I know you've all been anxiously waiting for the last seven days and since what is going to be announced. Everyone loves a good announcement, isn't that right? We all love it. It's new technology, a whole bunch of new movies, new type of cupcake, whatever gets you going. We just love an announcement. And that is this morning. And I love it because God knows we love announcements. He loves that, uh, that we are here right now expectant for him to move, expectant for him to commission us into a new season for the next two years, uh, focusing in on 2021. Hey, let's just take some time right now to address the elephant in the room. It's an ugly elephant and it's called 2020. I know for a fact that so many of us, was, we were looking forward to the end of 2020. But the problem I find with 2020 is it's one of those years that are actually going to, it's going to stick around longer than we think, then it's going to be more defining than we think, but we're not going to be judged according to how we responded in that year. We're going to be judged according how we respond in the years to come to what happened and what took place. And so when I look at 2020, I just see that as a moment in time where we had the opportunity as a church to realize, and when I say church, I mean globally, but especially in the West, to realize that there's parts of how we do things and the parts that we celebrate that maybe we don't need anymore. Maybe it wasn't really meant to be about that. Maybe that 2020 was less about the, the unraveling of the world and more the unraveling of a comfortable church. And God was saying, you know what, it's time that I take away your nice, you know, feather pillows of luxury and your comfortability when it comes to the gospel. And it's time I begin to shake my church up a bit, take away a bit of those things that we don't need, but we began to celebrate. We began to chase and pursue. And he's saying, no, 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 I want you to pursue me. And there's nothing like a good fire, a good kiln, a good like heat source. Bernie, Bernie heat sores. And I mean, like, you can take it anywhere. You can have curry. You can do whatever, chili. It can be, like, hot to begin to purify you, begin to clean you out a bit. (laughs) If only chili was around in the Middle East during the Bible times, then we would have had some great analogies. But anyway, you know what was? Gold was around. And the Bible says that he wants to purify us like gold, which requires an immense heat so the impurities can float to the surface and be removed. And so what was meant to be there is is remaining and what was not meant to be there is gone. 2020 was a year of a kiln. We were put in it. There was a forge taking place there. There was a heating up. There was a removing of the impurities, melting down of the value so that it could be reset to its original purpose. So I look at 2020 and go, I'm excited. You know, for 2020, 2019, our vision was... New Horizons, good job. You type it into the chat, you know, New Horizons, first in there gets a free high five. They're usually quite expensive, do you know? And I know I look at that and I just think how faithful God was over those two years. Um, some of you who are new to Avant Life Church and you might have grown up in the faith are going, wow, your visions are two years based. Can I be, can I be really honest with you? That's for two reasons. One, I want to make sure that we can achieve it. Number two, I honestly, I don't think in the time of ministry that Pastor Emma and I have spent, you know, serving God in a kingdom capacity when it comes to church, have ever seen something achieved within a year well. You know, people are like, oh, I don't agree. Good. But at least I haven't been able to achieve it in a year. And so we really do believe that two years is a good amount of time to really set a vision, take our time, see God actually build something of immense quality and immense depth so the foundations are good. And so it's not that we don't focus on individual years. We're just talking about a vision for the next two years with the 2021 application for today. And so with that in mind, our vision for this year, you're waiting for it, it's coming is in response to what we believe the Holy Spirit has commissioned us as a great awakening that we went through in 2020. So if there is a call and response, 2020 was the call, 2021 will be the response as a church. 
And I'm get, I get excited about this because the moment we get to respond to something is the moment we get to decide what language we use, what faith posture we take. And we all of a sudden, if 2020 was a year that someone got to move first, let's say the enemy got to move first, then 2021 is our counter move. You, get, you play chess, you get excited about your counter move. You think about it, right? You don't want to do a silly move. You don't want to take your, you know, your knight and move it to the outside of the board. Everyone knows you should use your knights to control the center of the board. And so we've been convinced that we need to move to the outside of the board with our knights, but God's saying, no, no, move your knights to the inside of the board. Move it closer to the king a little bit. Make sure that you're not wasting a move. And 2021 is not going to be a wasted move for us as a church. It's going to be an exciting move. And I'm going to preach to you a whole bunch of things from a scripture verse. Uh, And the reason I'm going to say it to you is not to stir your faith. It's to begin to bring, I really do believe, bring down misconceptions you might have because I know what our goals are for this coming two years might be challenging to those of you who might have a very traditional mindset on how vision should look like for the church. And so I'll be upfront. I'll be honest with you right now. I'm going to do my best to pull down what I think is misconceptions or seasonal thoughts that no longer exist, not taking away from biblical standards or scriptural truth. We're remaining. Can't touch those bad boys. But what I can do is begin to delineate between tradition, dogma, and the goodness of scriptures and the freedoms of God. 2021 is going to be a year of freedom. That's not our word for the year, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a year of freedom from control, from the things of the past, from tradition. Oh man, I'm excited. I know you're like, well, Ben, you just don't like following the rules. Well, I don't. When they don't make, I don't like following the rules the best of time, but when I find there's a flaw in them, then I'm getting rid of them. It's just how it is. And so everyone here, you have to shave your heads. <laughs> just kidding. I just say that because I know I've had so many comments about how good my hair is lately. Uh, you know, it's, it's just how much of it there is. There's so much hair. Well, can I just say something? But you, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is just, this is six weeks of growth. Imagine six months. I'm going to be Samson before you know it, but I'll keep the sides short, right? Because we need, we need some business, right? We need a little bit of business. Can't be all party, right? So it's, the party's on top. Actually, today I was brushing my hair. It just seemed to keep getting higher. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> anyway, it's going gray. Goodness of God is making it go gray. Our word, our theme for 2021 and 2022 is this. You guys ready? Church, you ready? You ready to write it down? You ready to get excited? Get your spirit ready. You got to own this. We've got to own this like we own New Horizons. Our vision, our theme for 2021, 2022 is arise and advance. How good is that? It's time to arise. It's time to advance. It's too long the church has sat dormant in our comfortability. When I say arise, the Bible talks about the word arise in relation to the light of the glory of the Lord. Think about that. So we're not just saying arise in your own strength. I mean, arise in the glory that God has given us, the commands and authority that he has given us. In Isaiah 61, sorry, 60 verse 1 to 4, which is our scripture verse, it's going to keep us grounded over the next two years. It says this, arise, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from a distant land. Oh, this is beautiful. And your little daughters will be carried home. Oh man, God is calling his sons and daughters home. And we get to be a part of that, but it begins with the the declaration and the living example of the glory of God arising in the darkest of times. He says to his people, arise. He doesn't say because it's a good time to arise. He doesn't say because it's a comfortable time to arise. He says it's because it's so dark right now. This world needs a bit of hope right now. And I've commissioned my sons and my daughters, my priests and saints to begin to arise in my glory, to see my light shine so that the world could see hope would come and rush home that those that were lost will be found isn't that a beautiful scripture for us I love that concept the light of the glory of the Lord is both objective reality like light it rises like the sun rises in a new dawn but it's also 
subjective experience. It's your light. It's something you have. That's my God. It's like this given benefit for us to enjoy. But at the same time, there's this immense transforming experience, not just for us, but those who set their eyes upon it. I love that the darkness that's going to be pushed back is going to be done so by the glory of God as it rises upon us first, his people first, his children first. You see that all nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to your radiance. Isn't it interesting that nations are ruled and kings are rulers? And the, and the scripture verse here is the nations will come and the mighty kings will come. That speaks to, to, the, to, to the great totality, you know, the totality of our God, that he's in control of all things, that even rulers and the ruled will come and submit to his glory. He's going to start with his people to encompass the world. And I I know we're going to reflect a little bit on 2020 a bit because it's important. I've said this before. It's a call and response that we're going through right now. And I do believe that God is saying, church, it's time to rise up. People of power, sons and daughters of power, mighty men and women of valor. Why have you sat dormant, afraid or complacent for too long? It's time to arise. The glory I've given you is not one that should be hidden under a basket, but should rise like the sun inevitably to, to bring hope and to bring light and to bring vision to those that are lost in this great darkness. The great unraveling of our world has begun, and it began a long time ago, but we're seeing it begin to be, you know, cripple what we thought was things that were so steadfast. We're seeing the great nation of the U.S. go into complete turmoil, and the reason we're so shocked is for the better part of the last 200 years, they have been the pinnacle of stability and reign and sovereignty in this world. But it's funny that in moments where we take our eyes off God and put our trust in man, how things like that become so fragile to us. And even though most of us aren't Americans, the whole world looks on in disbelief. Why? Because instability can exist everywhere else but the USA. Am I wrong? No. I'm not wrong. The, re- the reality is, is we're watching as, as we become even more aware that we need Jesus more today than we ever have before. The world needs Jesus more today. We don't need to turn to politicians. We don't need to turn to politics. We don't need to turn to news or social media. What we need to turn to is the goodness of God, the truth of God, the scripture of God, because that's where in our discipline to that, in our retention of his word, in the impulses found in the the depths of our heart that is hardwired by the goodness of God, we find not just reprieve, but we find power. We find stability and we find an ability to respond in strength. We're going to read a story today. It's common to most of us that grew up in the church, but if you're new and watching along, this is set in a period of time in the Old Testament where judges, mighty men and women of the day, were used to help guide, lead, save, set free, rule over Israel as a nation. And so we're going to pick up the story in Judges 6, and we're going to talk about a man called Gideon. Uh, And this is a really interesting story, and we're not going to look at the reasons that we've looked at before, but we're going to begin to look at a few things that I think will challenge us as believers and as avant-lifers this morning. Judges 6, we see Gideon is, and I'm going to paraphrase some of it and then read some of it just so we can get through it in time, but Judges 6, we see Gideon is uh, threshing wheat in the wine press, it's like a pit in the ground, so that the, the, the invading armies that had been occupying parts of Israel at the time couldn't see him because they would come down and they'd steal all the produce so that they could feed their own nation. They were just plunderers and pillagers. And he's doing his job. And the Bible tells us that the, that the Lord, the angel of the Lord, turns up and begins to you know, discuss with, with Gideon this great call on his life to be used to set Israel free. And then we know he's, he's like, hey, mighty man of valor. He's like, who am I? I'm the least of the least. And, and my clan is the least of all the clans. And we, we just, we're, we're just nobodies. And we, just, we see God begin to instill in him. It's not what they see of you. It's what I see of you. It's what I've given you. It's what I've clothed you in. But that's not what we're going to focus in on today. Because I do believe we've moved on from the season of feeling weak as a church. We're not weak as a church. We've seen growth. We've seen influence. We've seen opportunity. We've seen the move of God. We've seen provision and resource. 
We are in a position of strength now more than ever, but what we shouldn't fall into the trap of is celebrating the strength that we have in what was given, but celebrating the strength on who gave it to us in the first place. And I don't think we've lost sight of that, but I do believe that God is beginning to prune us back and remove misconceptions out of us that make our wall fragile so that He can replace it with a better truth that's going to set us up in a foundational way to sustain and carry what is to come. So we pick up here in Judges 25 that, uh, you know, Gideon's had this conversation with God. He then went and made bread and, and, he, and he brought some meat and he, he laid it on a rock and God burnt it up. And, and you know, Gideon makes a statement, oh, truly I've seen the, the angel of the Lord face to face. We pick the story up here. It says, the same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the, uh, the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with Azra's pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on a newly burnt altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully, they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded, Joash, bring out your son. Bring out your dead. He must die because he was, he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down Asherah's pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, You are going to plead Baal's cause? You're trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. What a threat of a father. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. Isn't that a great response? So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal. That day saying, let Baal contend with him. Isn't it interesting here that the first thing that God does when he begins the mission of setting Israel free from captivity and in being invaded was not deal with the enemy's misunderstandings. It was to deal with Israel's misunderstandings. He, was, he didn't go out and say, look at who the Midianites or the Amorites are worshipping. Look at their misunderstandings. He said to Gideon, I want you to do something that is going to begin to show the people of Israel that it's their misunderstandings, it's their misdirection, it's their decisions, it was their traditions they subscribe to that has held them captive for so long, not an invading army. And I look at our world today and I look at the church today and we keep saying, oh, you know what? We're losing our rights and we're losing our position in the public and the world hates us. And I keep thinking to myself, well, we didn't really have a position in this world. We didn't really have rights in this world. Anything we had, we took by control. And we took by tradition. But the Bible promises us that we are aliens of this world, that we don't belong here in the context of nature anymore. Not that we don't have a part to play or a role to play or a position here, but it's now temporary and we should do our utmost in that temporary moment. But don't be surprised if you're not liked, if you're not accepted. doesn't mean you just disengage. It just means you've got to think about how God wants you to engage. I find it profound that in this whole story that we're going to read, that Gideon is afraid a lot of the time, but the only time that it actually changes his decision is when his family is involved. Isn't that interesting? That every other time he's afraid, he brings something to God and he discusses it and he makes a, a faith and he makes a courage-based decision. But when it comes to his family and when it comes to doing something he knows they won't like or they won't understand or they'll be, dis, you know, be upset about, instead of going back to God and asking, should I do this in the day or the night, he unilaterally makes the decision out of fear of family and friends to do it at night so they wouldn't be seen. Oh, man, I'm, who's here culprit of trying to win people over by saying less, hiding in the dark and hoping God turns up? And what I love about my God is he's just like, well, well, you know what, Gideon, that sun's going to rise one day in a few hours and everyone's going to see what she did and they will carefully investigate and they're going to find out it's you. So you could have done it in the daylight with complete faith and declaration or you can do it at night and you can be found out. Man, I think it's, it's time that the church stopped trying to be found out as fake worldly people. <laughs> We're fake worlders. 
That's all we are. Amen. You don't need a tattoo to be relevant. You don't need a certain hairdo to be relevant. What you need is the radiance of God to be rising upon you. So those that are sick of the dark, sick of being lost, sick of not having any sight, would begin to see something on your life. And it's not your outward exterior. It's the glory of God radiating out out of you. This is what he's saying. Why did you do Anyway. We as a church can find ourselves so lost in our tradition and our historical dogma that we lose sight of what God is wanting to do. This is what takes place here. Gideon is breaking the back, not of the enemy's misconception, the enemy's dogma, but of Israel's. If 2020 did anything, it broke the dogma and the traditions of the church. You know, watching us trying to respond or watching the global church trying to respond out of it's our right to do this and it's our... Don't get me wrong, it is in certain countries, but not every country. (laughs) The West is feeling the tribulation and the trial that the East and the South have gone through for the last hundred years or even longer. Welcome to the party, the rest of the global church is saying. (laughs) Oh, you're feeling it for the first time in a hundred years. That must be difficult. Talk about privilege. Nice button. I'm going to say this, and I want you to pay deep attention to it. Tradition, and not scripture, has been used badly in the past to control. If the expectations and the dogma of old are as powerful as we're led to believe they are, let them contend for themselves. I don't mind being known as let dogma contend with him. Let tradition contend with him. Gone are the days where we hold fast to things that we don't find in scripture, but we find in culture. We read in Judges 6, 36 to 40. It's my second point. If we're in a season of change, then we've got to accept the totality of our God. Judges 6, 36, 40, we pick the story up, says Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by, the, by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew. A bowl full of water was produced. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. (laughs) Don't be offended. Ever had that statement? Hey, I don't say this to offend you. Instantly, you know. They're going to offend you. You're offended. Don't be angry with me, Gideon says to God. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. See, we know through the story as we read this that Gideon's faith was not constant. It's not a consistent faith. In new moments of uncertainty as well as heights of greatness and the patience of the Lord is remarkably shown in this section (laughs) where it's like, okay, do the fleece thing. Don't get angry. Invert the fleece thing. (laughs) It's like flip a coin. Okay, flip it again. But it actually makes sense why Gideon does this. See, Gideon makes this statement, God, I got this fleece and I want you to wet the fleece and keep everything else dry, right? And so God does that. But Gideon has a scientific moment. (laughs) He realizes that fleece is going to hold moisture longer than the ground. And so he doesn't know if God turned up or if he trusted in science. So he was desperate not to allow science to determine his faith. What does he do? He inverts it. He says, well, it's harder for the ground to keep moisture and the fleece to lose it. So God, would you do me this thing? I boogie the first one. You're a good God. But would you invert it so that I know that this is not a scientific experiment, but a faith one? Isn't that interesting? He says, I want you to wet the ground. I want you to do something here. He wants to reverse it because he knows it's a greater miracle for it to happen. We serve 
the God of totality. He does not care about the logical or the illogical, the seen or the unseen. This is what proves it to us. This simple fleece tells us that he reigns in the logical. And if you want to invert it on him, he will reign there as well. He's inescapable. He reigns in our mistrust. I know it sounds weird. He doesn't give it to us, but he reigns there. He knows how to work in that space. He can work in our mess. He can work in our bad decisions. He can work in all the past. He can make your test a testimony, whatever you want to say. He can do it. But at the same time, he loves a challenge. He loves to see us work in the impossible, in the realms of faith. Actually, he prefers it. It's his currency. He finds immense joy in it. We serve a God that is the God of totality. Everything is sovereign to him. You've got to understand this. No one enters this earth or leaves this earth without his permission. I know there's a whole bunch of conversation around that. Everything is under his reign. Doesn't mean that everything is from his heart, but it does mean as believers in every situation, we know where to turn. We know who authority we have. We know that our God is the God of totality. He, I love that our God does illogical things. That's my life. I love that. I prefer illogical outcomes. Aren't they way more interesting? My dad makes no sense to me sometimes. Uh, my dad is the classic Indian. And have you ever watched Indians when it comes to TV? They love TV. The rising middle class of India loves TV, apparently. Um, There's a lot of TVs in Indian households. I mean, like, Bollywood is actually the largest movie industry in the world. Not Hollywood, Bollywood, I know. They have their own versions of everything. It's fun. But my dad loves TV. He watches it, especially all the Christian channels. But I remember as a kid when the TVs were boxes. You remember that? But not the, not the wood boxes, like the plastic boxes. We're not that old. Um, but really big, right? Really heavy. It stopped working, and um, we're like, oh, we've got to get it fixed. And he's like, no, you don't. Just unplug it. And then we're like, we unplugged it, plugged it back in. didn't work. I'm like, yeah, Dad, you know what you're talking about. stupid. It's not a computer. And then my dad goes up to it. He unplugs it. I kid you not. He just bashes the top of it, plugs it back in, and it starts working. Honestly, there's no logic. Really, there's no logic to that. We know that, like, what did he do? He probably, like, reconnected a cable and he's bashing of it. But logically, I'm like, you don't look at something like technology and go, you know what, unplug it, punch it, and plug it back in. But sometimes we just, we don't want to think about the logic behind illogical things. We don't want to understand that God's at work in things that we don't comprehend. And so we're like, it can't be. That's impossible. Yet we, like, we serve the God of the impossible. If we serve the God of the impossible, he's not going to do boring stuff. He's a God of totality. He knows. Just like we said at the start, he rules over the ruled and the rulers. He sees all things. He's not afraid of 2020. And he's excited for 2021. For his people. The next point I want to make is fear is contagious. This is really important, especially for a vision. What you don't want is have a vision based on a promise and then a whole bunch of fear people, fearful people. We see that happen to the Israelites. And then they stuck in the wilderness for extra long because they invested and they supported the fear-based decision, not the faith-based decision. So fear is contagious. Judges 7, verse 1 to 3, it says this, Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the hill of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. This always reminds me of Braveheart. They're just too many. <laughs> the Hebrews are too many. <laughs> Colin, he's Scottish. Oh. <laughs> the Hebrews are too, there's just too many. <laughs> Imagine if God spoke to I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. I love my Lord. He doesn't even, he's like, you guys will just think it's done in your own strength. My own strength has saved me, he, he says about Israel. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So this marks the, you know, the first of two stages in the reduction of Gideon's army. And believe it or not, this first reduction is in accordance with a provision we find in Deuteronomy 20 verse 8. 
I'm going to read it to you. It says this, And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows, fellow man melt like his own. This is not just God being illogical. It's him being illogical and logical at the same time. God of totality. Right? What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to need less of you because you'll boast. But at the same time, if I leave two thirds of you who are filled with fear, you'll make the one third melt in the time of pressure. As we cast vision soon, can I ask you, don't be the ones that allow your heart to melt. Furthermore, don't melt the hearts of others because you're filled with fear. We are the children of God. We are filled with faith, not fear. We are, we are set free by our faith in Jesus Christ, not our fear of the world. Fear is contagious. It can have disastrous effects upon an army, even reaching pandemic proportions. And we see this take place later on to the Midianites, hey? When fear enters the camp. We all remember the rise of ISIS soon after the Arab Spring in Syria and Iraq. And some of the content that came out to the sheer evil that they committed and the atrocities that they committed, just beyond necessary, if it ever was, right? Beyond normal war crimes, like just barbaric. And the reason they did it was not because they were simply bloodlust or they just wanted to hurt people for the sake of it. They wanted to break the back of the Iraqi army and they succeeded. If you remember, the Iraqi army collapses and most of Mosul and all the, almost a third of Iraq is captured by a terrorist force who calls a caliphate. Why? Because they use fear to melt the hearts of the Iraqi army who had a vision of nationhood, of being rebuilt after many years of war. We are no different as the kingdom of God. When he gives us vision when he's promised us a nation, when he's promised us a, 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 an outcome and our inheritance, fear will dispossess us by melting the hearts of all of us. You cannot lead in fear. Fear is a beast that you must let go. It cannot be domesticated. It cannot be controlled. We should never lead out of fear, but always through faith. In Isaiah 41, 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear is contagious. Let's get rid of it. Let's excommunicate it from the camp. Let's release that beast. Never allow it back. It's not useful to us as a church. We're not called to control people. We're not, con- we're not called to intimidate people. I told you last week when we spoke about culture that we are a people of humility, which will never use fear to control people. Now, don't get me wrong. There's consequence and there's boundaries and there's parameters and there's pushback when you live an unhealthy and ungodly life. That's not what I'm talking about. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of his principles is a good thing. But the fear of the world or controlling someone because you fear the outcome outside of your own control is ungodly, it's sinful, and Jesus nailed it to the cross. I like my next point. Be ready for war. Judges 7, 4 to 6, it says this, But the Lord said to Gideon, this is the second culling back of the army, There's still too many. (laughs) Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. (laughs) Oh, okay, that sounds great, God. This is a funny story, isn't it? Hey, you've got too many if you weren't afraid already. (laughs) You've got too many, but don't worry, I'll thin them out for you. (laughs) I'll do that for you because I'm a good God. If I say... This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Man, I love my God. What a challenge. He says, let me do the commissioning. That's what he's saying. Don't you judge according to your eyes. Let me do it. I'll judge according to the inside out. And who comes with you? I've said they can come. And who says, who I say who can't come, they're not commissioned, can't come. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord said to them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dogs lap it from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest of them got down on their knees to drink. 
Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. This is a weird scripture verse. I'll give you that one. We could go around the merry bowl, uh, the, the merry, what is it? Merry go round, the bowl. I'm hungry. The merry bowl of cereal, which is soup. Um, we could go around thinking about this, but honestly, when you study this, this scripture and you know the ancient times, this just speaks to a readiness. See, if you're in the midst of war, and the Bible tells us geographically that they're very close to each other, these, different, these two opposing armies. One's very small and one is huge. The, the, the reason that the Midianites don't attack the Israelites, they would know they're there, all right? I want to really be honest with you. This is not sneaky business. They would have had their scouts out and they would have seen it. They would have seen the Israelites. The reason they didn't go out and wipe them out is they were such a small force, they weren't insecure about their presence. Simply as that. It's just, oh, look at them. They're just a little raiding party. Who cares? Let's leave them to whatever they want. If they want to come, we'll crush them. But let's not break camp for their sake. That's essentially what the Midianites are saying. But for the Israelites, they're constantly around the Midianites. They're constantly in danger. And so God gives them this simple delineation that those that are willing to put down their guard and not pay attention that they're in the midst of war and kneel down, not ready for anything to happen, send them home. I only want those who are ready. Because there's a big difference between putting down your weapons so that you can kneel and then keeping your weapons on you and just cupping the water so you're always ready. You're always prepared. If something comes out, your hands are instantly released and you can pick your weapon up. You don't have to pick yourself up off the floor. This is a simple, simple thing. It's illogical, but logical. Isn't it illogical? Uh, you drank like a dog, you can stay. You kneel down to drink, you got to go. Oh, okay. That doesn't make sense, but okay, we'll do what you say. Gideon, cool. But we read in Romans 13, 11 to 14, Paul write this. Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let us behave decently and in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you know what Paul is writing about? He's saying, be ready. Time has come to lay down your distractions. Time has come to lay down your selfish motivations. Time has come to be ready, clothed in the full armor of light. The Lord Jesus, our Christ, the glory of God has risen. It's time to advance, but you can only do this if you don't do it from the desires of the flesh, but the desires after God's heart. Drink water from your hands. Don't kneel down and lap from the, the, the river. That's essentially what Paul is saying. My next point, oh wait, I've got to tell you this, I missed a point. We talk about fear and we talk about being ready for war. And if you read the whole story, you'll know that anyone that was sent away, be it the first stage or the second stage, was asked to leave their resources with those who were going to fight on the front line. So I tell you this, that if you've told yourself that you're not capable of helping on the front line or that you've disqualified yourself because of whatever reason, and I'll leave that to you, I love that our God doesn't allow you to escape from having to resource those who are willing to lay their life down on the front line. And so at the very least, if your heart has melted or is going to melt like wax, please leave your horn, your sword, your trumpet, uh, your torch, your clay pot, your saddle if you have it, leave your horse as well. This is what they had to do. They had to leave what they had so that the 300 could be fully resourced. Not all of those men carried a, a horn or a trumpet. Not all of them had a torch. It's not they all came like with this prefabricated Ikea box that they just put together ready to battle the Midianites. Those on the front line were resourced by those that were afraid or sent home. Now I'm going to put this on a more gracious light. 
If you're not capable for whatever reason to be on the front line, it could be for health reasons. It could be for whatever, family, whatever. And I honor that. And I respect it. It still doesn't stop you from resourcing the warriors and the missional needs of the kingdom on the fringes and on the front line. I know we're going a bit longer today, but it's Vision Sunday. It's good. We're heading towards it. The unconventional intentional. Try to say that quickly. It's my last point. The unconventional intentional. Judges 7, 19, 22, it says this, Gideon and a hundred men that split off into three camps of a hundred uh, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. That's 10 p.m., just after they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were blown. And they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Sheeta, towards Zerara, as far as the borders of Abel, Mehola, near Tabath. They just scattered. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Uh, the enemy has a really hard exterior. But he crumbles the moment you can get to his exterior, interior, sorry. You know, uh, the way these armies used to work back in the day uh, is that the elite troops were the ones that would go out and do the plundering and the raiding and the less qualified, the less skilled troops would stay at camp and they would, you know, administer and they would keep everything functioning because it's actually quite hard supplies and, and food and resource and all that to keep an army on the march. And so they would camp for a period of time so that they could, you know, consolidate and make sure that they weren't stretched too far and too thin. And so what would happen is that these raiding parties would come back and these are the, the, the top troops and they would encircle the camp. They would be the outer perimeter because if they were attacked, the army would know that their best troops were the ones defending. And it's funny because if you read the whole story, Gideon actually goes down and uh, he just susses out the perimeter and he, he hears two troops talk about a dream one had. And one's like, man, I saw this barley, this old barley thing, and it, it fell into the camp and it was out of destruction. And he's like, he's like, oh. And Gideon's listening and then his mate, you know, not Gideon's mate, the, the enemy's friend interprets and said, I think it's Gideon, son of Joash, is going to come and God's going to use him to destroy us. Just casual 10 p.m. conversation. <laughs> and Gideon is encouraged. He goes back and he worships God. That's what the Bible says. And do you know why we know that these are elite troops? Because Gideon wouldn't have paid attention to their dream unless they had a rank because you only listened to the dreams of those that had authority. That's the truth. That's how they worked. And what I love is that the enemy will always position their hardest resistance on the outside of what we are to inherit. And we're afraid of the exterior, but I can tell you, if we have faith in the unconventional and be intentional with it, that the enemy's soft on the inside. He's soft on the inside. I love that my God uses the dream of an enemy and the interpretation of an enemy to encourage Gideon. (laughs) It's funny. We should probably pay more attention to what the enemy says, hey? Never know, might be encouraged. Church, we see in this story... We see a season of change and as a church globally, in the West at least, God is changing. But here at Avant Life, we're getting rid of some old dogma, some old tradition that's not found in Scripture, but is found in some man-made concept that I don't think God wants anymore. We're accepting that our God is totally in control, not just in our head, but in our heart and in our action, in our language and in our responses. He's not out of control. He doesn't need us to take it. Fear is contagious. This world in 2020 tried to tell us that if we weren't afraid of a virus, if we weren't afraid of social disruption, 
then there was something wrong with us. That fear is now a virtue. Well, I tell you right now, it will never be a virtue of ours. I'm not afraid. You shouldn't be either. What's out there that's greater than who's in here? My Bible says nobody. And so if that's the case, and if fear is contagious, well, let the world have fear. Because the Kingdom of God should be that of strength and of power and of a sound mind. That is our call. We shouldn't be rattled at every firecracker that goes off in this world. We're not the dog at the pound. We're the King of kings and the Lord of lords' children. We sit at the table of the Heavenly Father. We should celebrate firework because it tells us that God's kingdom is on the move and the enemy's afraid and all he has is but a little spark. But we have the light that created heaven and earth and he's on the move. And it's time to arise and it's time to advance and it's time to be ready for war and it's time to believe in the unconventional and be intentional because we serve the God that is illogical and logical at the same time. Seen and unseen at the same time. He is asking us to be okay with the fringe being the elite because the inside is soft. The inheritance is not protected by much. He just needs us to stand, arise and let our glory that is Him shine. With all that in mind, you guys ready for our vision goals for 2021-2022? Here we go. And I want us to celebrate these. I don't want us to be like, oh, that's nice. I want us to cheer at home. I want you to to praise God. I want you to celebrate Him that He's giving us such a phenomenal call. I I don't care if it feels weird if you're home alone. I want you to clap. I want you to shout. I want you to to say amen and say, let it be so because we're united in this. Church, you ready? Type in the chat. We, We ready. We ready. Number one. In 2020, we as a leadership team decided and in 2021 moving forward for the next 10 years, we will be partnering partnering with Global Missions. One, El Aviva in Italy, which is exciting. We'll be financially sowing into that, which is a church planting, a church planting, a discipleship raising organization in Italy. I love the fact that as a church, God is asking us to partner with once was the cradle of Christianity to take back what the enemy took. You know, we talk about this so much, but there's hardly any spirit-filled churches in the nation of Italy and we're coming for it. He's asked us to partner with the Living God Church in India, in Chennai and wherever God sends them. We're going to be sending mission teams out there to help build discipleship centres, to help resource and train teams. We're going to be involved in the province of Kerala, which is where St. Thomas was martyred for the goodness of God. Over the next two years, we are going to formalise an official leadership academy offering a diploma in ministry and leadership. We're going to partner with, and we're still working this through, with registered trainers in education to make sure that in all ways that people that go through this diploma in ministry are legally recognised here in Canada, able to be credentialed, and able to minister under that acknowledgement of time spent in the Word. Because of 2020, I'm so excited to announce that we will have a permanent online campus as a church. (laughs) 2020 called and we responded. This will mean that there will be an online campus pastor. How cool is that? And there'll be an online campus team helping to facilitate. No matter where you are in this world, if God calls you through social media or maybe you're just perusing online, if you stumble across Avant Life Church, you will stumble across not just a website, but an online campus here to minister to you. We'll be officially starting a short films ministry.
Financially investing in creating short films that communicate the ancient message of redemption in innovative and creative ways. We will be having premieres and launches of films. And we'll be celebrating people that have the, the art of acting and filming and cinematography and lighting and audio and everyone else that's involved, ADing, producing, directing. This is us as a church. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. This one I'm really excited about. I'm excited for all of them. We're going to set aside time and resource and release our own worship music. This is not for recognition by man, but recognition of what God is saying to us as a congregation and a voice of worship uniquely given to us from Him, which we have a mandate to return. Twenty twenty one will also be a year in which myself, Pastor Emma, and the board begin to pray plan and prepare for what will be our fourth campus location, third in person, considering that the third one is online, which we'll be excited to announce for whatever God tells us to do and launch that in 2022. And I'm excited for that because we've seen the miracle of Squamish and the team's been hard at work and God's been gathering people and he's done it through a season of darkness, a season of restriction. He, I love he's no respecter of man on that level. And if he can do it in what has been one of the hardest seasons globally, I can't wait to see what he does in 2022. Church, that's the two-year mission that we have. I would be lying to you if I didn't say that it's impossible. But so was moving here. So was you partnering with this. So was this building. So was the other building. So was all this equipment. So was the acceptance of the community. So was everything that we do impossible. So with that in mind, as we go back into worship right now, and as we celebrate in our lounge rooms, in our homes, wherever you are right now, Let's be just give God glory. Let's, let's just declare that in this vision, He is bringing revival. He's bringing awakening. That our words for the next two years arise and advance. My people, my men and women of valour, of might. Avant Life Church has never been conventional. Your leader in myself is completely illogical. But your other leader in Emma is logical. Nothing we have done has been in our own strength and I continue and I'm committed to that tradition. Because unless He builds His church, we labour in vain. Leadership Academy, Global Missions, Permanent Online Campus, Short Film Ministry, Worship, Music and Praying, Planning, Preparing for the Fourth Campus. Let's worship. hope you enjoyed this message we would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast other ways you can connect with avant life is through youtube instagram and facebook or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com